Welcome back to the What's Up and What's Next podcast, the greatest podcast of all times. And today we have a special guest. She is a serial entrepreneur and she's also got an amazing book coming up soon for launch. Innovation starts with I. Please welcome Salima Villani to the show. Welcome, Salima. Thank you so much. How are you today, Eric? I'm fine, thank you. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate it. I want to start off by just asking you if you could tell us a bit more about yourself. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> I've multiple, multiple ventures, some acquired, some failed. It's been, a, it's been quite a range of fun, I would say. It's all about the journey. And um, apart from that, you know, I, I would say that ultimately, as I'm also redefining entrepreneurship and, and innovation in my book, uh, I, I also consult for international organizations. I bring a lot of innovative thinking and strategies to them to help them have a bigger impact by thinking differently. So bringing that innovative mindset into the work that they do. And I also teach entrepreneurship and design thinking at Hopkins, at Johns Hopkins University here in Washington, D.C. And currently, I am the founder and CEO of a company called Ripple Impact. And basically, we help entrepreneurs build their platforms, increase their influence so they can have a bigger impact. So we have an accelerator program. We really help them get clear and develop their business strategy. Really help. We're really with the behind the scenes team for them, uh, for solopreneurs specifically. And that's pretty awesome. Can we get a bit more into like the entrepreneurial background? Because you've done a couple of stuff in, in Europe, I believe. I'm really curious to know more about it. Yeah, sure. So uh, Europe, yeah. So I was actually, I kind of actually started in Brazil. So, you know, during the last financial crisis, the financial recession back in uh, 2008 to the nine, I couldn't find a job when I graduated from college. And so I ended up going to Brazil to do some volunteer work. I didn't have my master's degree yet. So I was like, okay, well, let me go learn another language, expose myself to another culture after having lived in the Dominican Republic and, you know, growing up in Canada. And so I went down there to actually thinking I was going to volunteer at this orphanage and the nonprofit director, who is a great entrepreneur that I admire to this day, who was my boss at the time, asked me to start up a language school to finance that orphanage. He tasked me to be in Rio de Janeiro and start up this language school to make this uh, orphanage survive and, you know, improve their infrastructure and, and help them be more sustainable. And so I went ahead and did that. And it was really hard just starting something up from the ground, you know, living in very, very, let's just say it was super scrappy, didn't even have water for a few months, uh, no internet or a very, like in the office, we had dial up. It was very, very, very minimalist. And it was a very, very fun, but very challenging time just recruiting volunteers from around the world to help us uh, teach languages to the Brazilian students, as well as teaching Portuguese to, uh, you know, hiring local teachers to teach Portuguese to the foreign students. And we realized very quickly that, you know, just teaching all these languages was a failure strategy. And so we ended up uh, getting rid of all the other languages and focused on Portuguese for foreigners. And that's when the school really took off. That's when we pivoted and found our niche. And the, the foreign students were really passionate about supporting a good cause to support the children in the orphanage. And we actually let them visit. And it was really, really fun just, you know, doing something, really implementing social innovation, which at that time, no one had done that before. So we were really a, a model for other uh, parts of Brazil, other schools, other parts of Latin America to replicate that model. So you've got a massive wealth of experience in the entrepreneurial space. I want to ask you, what do you love? Like, what do you love about being an entrepreneur? 
Yeah, so I love the freedom, the flexibility, the creativity that comes with it. I'd say that I probably work a lot harder as an entrepreneur, but I think I, 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 the journey can be addictive once you realize you're doing this, uh, not just for yourself, but for the collective, for the community, and especially if you're doing something that's solving a problem that you're passionate about. So, you know, after my time in Brazil, I was ready for my next chapter. I moved to Italy uh, and to the south of Italy, where I also couldn't get a job. It was the Euro crisis, um, you know, the Greek crisis was happening. It was just a bad time. And just being in the south of Italy, I wasn't going to get a job even if I was to go there today. So uh, so I ended up, you know, just doing some freelance translation online at the time when the gig, the gig economy was still very, very new. And so there were a lot of opportunities and very quickly turned in from a freelance translator doing some small projects here and there within just a few months, turned into a six-figure business uh, by, you know, just helping a lot of corporate clients build their, you know, expand their digital presence by doing website translation. We could translate in HTML. We could do a lot of things that traditional translation agencies who use softwares couldn't do. We were hiring people in the gig economy, um, you know, hiring translators around the world and doing all kinds of really cool translation projects. And that's how I uh, really, I'd say like that was one of my favorite stories because I loved being able to be based in Italy, being able to travel the world and work, you know, around it. It was a lot of work because we worked in different time zones. But at those days, there wasn't like Zoom, there wasn't video calls. It was very different. You know, you could manage that better. So I loved it back then. Now it's harder because there's more demand, there's more transparency, there's a lot more accountability, there's a lot more, you know, human connection that's happening versus back in those days where you could operate under a total different name, you know? So it, I would say that I, I loved it back then and that experience that I had. I can't replicate that. But today I would say what I love about entrepreneurship is the ability to to really contribute to solve a, a bigger problem. And I'd say like really just, I love the creative, the creative part of it. I just love being able to have my own schedule, be able to work with who I want to work with, manage my own team, work with the clients I want to work with and and help them solve problems. That's pretty cool and pretty impressive as well. So from, from what you love, I want to now dive, divert into the learnings and the lessons that you've sort of acquired and embraced as the years have gone by. What are the biggest or some of the biggest lessons that you can share from all these experiences you've had? Hmm. I'd say that, I'd say my biggest, I guess I would say that, you know, the lessons I've learned, I'd say that, you know, I can tell you about my lessons I've learned in the past, but I would probably be better to say is what I, how I think it could help people and your listeners in the future. And that would be, you know, I've learned a lot around not taking things personally and the emotional resilience involved with the journey of being an entrepreneur. Cause I think a lot of us struggle with the feeling of rejection, especially if we're moving into this, you know, human sort of feeling economy where we're dealing with people all the time. And it's, some of us love it. Some of us struggle with it. And especially now in this virtual world, it's harder because we don't have the true human connection when we're connecting with people virtually. So it can be exhausting for a lot of us, including myself. And so I think, you know, being able to manage your emotions, uh, being able to empathize with people, I think that it's all about relationships. I'd rather work with somebody that has less skills, but that has emotional intelligence that I connect with or that, um, you know, that, that just has people skills. I value that so much more. And I think I used to hire people based on skills. I used to hire people for different reasons. And I realize now um, for entrepreneurs, as you build a team or as you work with clients, the the type of people, you know, just, just emotional intelligence, you can't underestimate that. Let's just say that. No, 100%. I, I strongly believe that you can teach people skills, but you can't actually teach them character. 
right? You can't just teach someone to be a certain way or have some sort of traits. That's that's natural to to each in one individual. So I definitely relate with you, and I agree with you when you say that. I want to ask you because times have changed now massively, and we're going to you know, pandemic and sort of economical crisis going around the world. What advice and what other sort of tips, I guess, you can share for entrepreneurs right now? People who are who are already in the space or are starting up in the space or want to get into the space. What, what sort of advice would you give to those people listening? Yeah, so I would say that getting into the space, I think people need to realize that entrepreneurship is not what the rosy picture people painted it is. You know, they see you hear the success stories a lot. You don't hear all the failure stories and most people fail at entrepreneurship. And I think it's, you know, we, we look at Uber, we look at Facebook, we look at some of these big tech companies that have exploded, but they had their time and they had, you know, the right time, the right technology, the right team. Uh, but now it's, it's very difficult to just, you know, do the whole, let's be a startup guy or girl and wear a t-shirt or sweatshirt and be in a garage and quit our jobs and do that. I think that there's this new hybrid form of entrepreneurship that's emerging where, you can have all that flexibility because of the gig economy and, you know, a lot of companies that are more project-based now where they bring in a lot of, uh, you know, the distributed workforce. I think that it's about having the diversity of different gigs or different aspects. Like if you're an entrepreneur, make sure you do not go completely independent until you have at least three years of savings that can support you because it does take a good solid three years for you to actually become profitable usually unless you have a lot of luck in my case you know it was a different story back in those days but today it's really hard to have that uh, you know that profitability and sustainability and so I think it's important to have enough cash in reserves as well as having the, the diversity like a lot of times if you're an entrepreneur that's servicing you know clients um, you know professionals then it might be helpful for you to be part of an association where you have that network it might be uh, you know the community you might be better off also having one big you know one corporate client that you're working maybe half time for or you're working as you know you just have that stability from a client that's supporting you while you grow that business and I think too many people take that leap too early and that's where failure happens because they think that they'll just just go out on their own and just make a lot of money but they often don't have they can have big dreams and big vision but the structure often isn't there and it usually takes a lot of time that's where we come in that's the problem i'm solving right now with giving entrepreneurs that structure with my team and with the work that we're doing at ripple impact is really giving that structure because usually they tend to have a lot of drive but not most entrepreneurs don't have the direction to get there i see that makes sense it's really really interesting to hear about all this I want to speak about your book that is coming up because I feel like this is really, really exciting. Innovation starts with I. I love the title. I absolutely love it. Tell me, how did that all come about? How did you end up writing a book that is coming out really soon? Yeah, so that all started, I think it was, I was actually terrified of public speaking my whole life until about almost three, less than three years ago, I started doing it. And it was because, you know, I had always been asked to share my story over the last few years, especially when I started getting out there. I was very much behind the scenes. I hid behind another identity called Selena. I was very much trying to help other people shine and help other people be successful. And I just like being behind the scenes. But I realized once I was invited to do a speaking engagement one speaking engagement one time at a women in tech conference, 
it was really interesting because I was so scared. But when I shared my story and I didn't have access to my to my script because I didn't have presenter's view, which I thought I would have, I really had to just show up and be authentic and sh- you know share from myself and my heart and what, what I had memorized. And it was really interesting because I was really empowered to see how so many people loved my talk and the feedback that I got. And I was like, wow, that was you know really unexpected that people got a lot out of that, that I had that ability to make that impact through that influence and through my story. And so I was like, okay, well, let me keep doing this. And I kept doing public speaking and sharing my story and getting on calls. I did like you know hundreds of coffee meetings and did a lot of that. And it just took a lot out of me to keep doing it and doing it and doing it so many times. And I was like, okay, like this is great, but it's helping maybe one person at a time. And I can't spend so much of my time just meeting people for coffee and telling my story. How can I? And a lot of people ask me like, Salima, do you have a book or have you done a TEDx or is there somewhere else I can read about you? And I was like, you know what? Let me find a way to share myself in a book and just make it public so people can learn from it and you know apply a lot of the things that I've learned and so that's that's sort of what inspired me I, I, I didn't really I, you know I had a an idea to, to write a book about was it six years six or seven years ago but I never really felt it, it just kind of went on the back burner because I didn't believe in myself I didn't have the audience I didn't have the motivation or the confidence to do it on my own and so it was it was something that emerged more when the time was right and how long did that process take? You mean from when I had the idea of writing a book to actually sitting down and writing it? Yeah, and, and, and also from that stage up to the stage that you are now where the book's finalized and it's coming out really soon, right? Yeah, so yeah, it's coming out in January 2021. Uh, and yeah, so when I started when I started back in 2014, I think it was with, uh, you know, it was really about helping unleash the entrepreneur within people, but I don't know, it just kind of came to me. It was really... My intuition that told me, you know, this is what I want to write about because I was inspired by some of the conversations I was having with a close friend. And I started writing some stuff in Google Docs and then, you know, I'd saved that. So thankfully, now that I look back at that, I see that my book really is about a lot of that stuff. Just, phrase, you know, it's, it's different, but same theme around helping unleash the entrepreneur within people. And I think when I took that five year pause, I needed to live my story. I had to do so much more in my life. I had to go through. A crash. I had to go through hitting rock bottom and building myself up again and really redefining who I am and finding my purpose and going from Salima 1.0 to 2.0 to now 3.0. And so that those five years were crucial for me to not even think about a book and just really get my life together. And, and even though I'd been successful before, when I initially started writing the book back in 2014, I was not in a great place. I was very lost. I had been through a lot in my life and I was very, very confused as to, you know, it just wasn't the right time. I had to live more. And so through that five-year process of finding myself and rediscovering, you know, my purpose and evolving, it, it just felt more natural when I started back in, I think it was early 2019 when I started actually, you know, hiring a team, writing the book. And since early 19 until now, it's been about a year and a half. And even then, like, it's it's been a really, really interesting process just I didn't know what to write about. I didn't know what message I wanted to share. I just knew I wanted it helpful in whatever way I could through my story and share my, you know, some of the stuff that I do on innovation, a lot of the insights. And and I wanted to, you know, establish myself more as a thought leader, but also uh, share my story. And I couldn't figure out because I couldn't find a book that did exactly that in that same way. I realized, no, maybe this is an opportunity for me to create again. And when I did feel stuck, I ended up saying, you know what, I don't know if I'm going in the right direction. I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to talk to 100 people 
that I don't know personally and learn from them and just interview them. People, you know, leaders, entrepreneurs, folks from, you know, technology, from from learning and development, from change management, from HR. I interviewed, you know, Alex Oshterwalder who created the business model canvas. I just interviewed Ariana Huffington last week. So it's been quite a wide range of people that I don't know that aren't in my, you know, close circle and really trying to understand what how they define innovation and their stories. What do they think are like the most important skills for the future and all these different areas that I was sort of stuck in my own head about and I wanted to learn from other people because I think that things should be done in collaboration. I think that's really valuable, the fact that you get all these experiences and you've gone to all these ups and downs and, and you are able to then sort of almost mirror that into like a written form, which is your book, Innovation Starts With I. I'm really curious, what is the meaning behind the title? How did you come up with it and why? Yeah, sure. So the title was interesting because I remember that my first keynote that I gave at that Women in Tech conference, I had a slide about how innovation starts with I, and it just came to me. Like, it was really, I'd done some research, and, like, I, I read a bit about this concept, and I was in that process of reinventing myself. And so I remember having that slide that really resonated whenever I used that slide, oh, innovation starts with I, and I didn't think too much about it back then. But when I was, you know, applying to different TEDx conferences last year, and I was working on the book title, it felt right to just use that title, but I was worried that innovation was a big buzzword and that it wasn't going to resonate for a book because I was like, oh, man, there's so many books on innovation, but maybe this was an opportunity to sort of, you know, redefine it and bring it back. And it is still very relevant. It is still a buzzword. And, it's you know, it ended up becoming even more relevant <laughs> because of this whole 2020, let's just say that. But uh, yeah, I would say that it was something that came more intuitively, but then I ended up changing the title to uh, my current company name, which is Ripple Impact for a few months, but that didn't seem to resonate that much with people is they kept calling it Ripple Effect. And I was like, okay, well, Innovation Starts With I is, is really unique, but I was also getting some pushback. But then my editor said, tension is great because then it still can be intriguing. There are some people who are gonna not like the title and a lot of people didn't like the title until they explained it because they're like, innovation starts with I isn't true. Like, it should be about we. It should be about doing things together and not alone. And we have too much, you know, egocentric sort of stuff already on innovation. And I was like, well, that's not what I mean by that. But it, I think that it starts with I because it starts with the individual with the mindset. And I think innovation doesn't happen just sitting in, you know, just doing design thinking workshops or sitting in meeting rooms with post-its and all that sort of stuff, the way we picture innovation in innovation labs and all that true innovation, if you look at Steve Jobs, you look at some of the best innovators, happened through their personal transformation journey. That's when they really came out, when they reinvented themselves through some sort of transformation. I think that innovation you know, is connected to change, and I think that for that to happen, we have to experience some kind of change within ourselves to ignite that innovation. And then we can roll it out and execute it with teams and with companies, with people, etc. And so I really think it starts with I, it happens with we and it has this ripple impact on the world because once you bring other people in and you execute on that innovation it doesn't just have to be you know a product or service the way you might think of it it could just be you know evolving into the next version of yourself and i think that's really interesting because then you, that that can have a snowball effect like you said it's the, it's the ripple impact that you mentioned can you tell us a bit more about the book content itself I know it's about your experiences and and so on and so forth but is there like anything or any topic specific that you can sort of mention here yeah so I would say that the book talks a lot about you know 
there's a lot on self-awareness and you know that introspection and finding yourself what's your sweet spot what are your greatest strengths what's your unique contribution to the world uh, really developing curiosity, uh, originality, a lot of these, you know, I want to say 21st century skills, I call them future skills. Uh, you know, there's a lot on uh, empathy and listening and collaboration as well as, um, you know, storytelling, all these different capabilities that are needed for the future of work that we're already in. And so it's really helping people position themselves better to actually thrive in this uh, new world that we're about to enter right now. That's really awesome. I want to ask you, why did you decide to independently self-publish? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, I decided to I decided to self-publish because I initially had a publisher and they actually recommended I self-publish because I built an audience. When I first started writing the book, I didn't really have much of an audience. And my editor said I'd have to collaborate with other influencers or, you know, really hire other people to market the book. And I was like, oh, wow, like that's not going to be authentic if I, this is my story. And so I figured I had to build my own platform, which is when I hired a team to help do that. And yeah, so we had a really successful crowdfunding campaign where we sold several hundred copies of the book through there, as well as thousands of copies actually through organizations, which was amazing. And, you know, I was really scared about self-publishing or even just publishing a book during this 2020 or 2021, let's just say the, the pandemic or post-pandemic, because it was... You know, I had all these dreams about being able to do a book tour and being able to travel, being able to share in person and be able to sign books, be able to distribute physical books. And all of that kind of got crushed earlier on this year. And I was like, how am I going to do this? How long should I wait? And when I realized that this is the world we're in, I was like, well, it doesn't look like traditional bookstores or traditional publishing is really going to help me. I need to build this personal brand myself. I need to build my platform. So I focused on that kept building the platform, kept serving the community, uh, kept, you know, marketing the book in advance. And the crowdfunding campaign being really successful also is the first time any self-published author uh, experienced that level of success. And I think it was all because of us having a team behind us that really helped, not just for the crowdfunding campaign, but for the project as a whole. You know, it had, it was not alone in this. I had a team that helped me with the entire book process, um, just including a lot of people through the collaboration, I realized that it just didn't make sense to, to, to go the traditional publishing route because it would, first of all, slow down the publishing of the book. I wouldn't be able to control the creative process as much, which we have the team for. And I just felt like it would be more successful as a self-published book for my first book. So that's why I decided to go that route. I'm really open to doing you know traditional publishing in the future. It's just for this book at this time that we're in in the world and given that we built the platform, I think it's more authentic and just a more strategic way of doing this. Yeah, it's going to be harder to get on, you know, New York Times bestseller list or any of that stuff. But how many people are actually going to bookstores these days, right? So no, hundred percent. And it was just right decision, right time, and it was it was what made sense at the time. And I must say, I was definitely impressed, and I'm very happy as well. I was very happy as well when I heard about the success that your campaign had, which I was. A part of, so I'm proud of that as well, <laughs> to contribute towards that crowdfunding campaign. I wanted to touch a bit more on that because when you sort of got into that idea of I am going to have a crowdfunding campaign, did you have any expectations? Because obviously you had you had goals, which I, c- I can I can understand because that's what you set for a, a campaign. But did you have any expectations, for example, you know, the people in your closer circle or in your inner circles 
that you knew for a fact that were going to help out and didn't or, or, or they did. So I want to understand that process and that, that top process about expectations once it all started. The hardest part of, of the entire crowdfunding campaign process was having the emotional resilience. It was obviously a very, uh, it was a very challenging job for myself and my entire team. We were working nonstop. It was more than a full-time job, including weekends. It was a lot of work. Uh, and it was, you, I would never have been able to do that without my team. So let's just say that. And I'd say that also just not taking things personally, because oftentimes people within your close circle won't support you. They just won't believe in supporting causes as projects or ventures or whatever. And, and they'll rather, they'd rather support charities, which is totally fine and totally acceptable. There were a lot of things going on in the world. And so for me, I was like, you know, that that's fine. And it was just, but it was hard to hear that because it was like, oh, I would take it personally. Like I understand that they have other things and those other things are more important, obviously, but why can't they contribute even a dollar towards the campaign just to show their support? And it's just that they don't, they didn't align with that. And so that was interesting. And that was, you know, a few people, it was most people supported in some way or another and, um, you know, really trying to help people understand why I was doing that. And, um, people have their own perceptions and you can't try to change that or try to see, you know, we see the world as we are. And so it's important to be able to empathize with how other people see things. And so some people were just like, why don't you just self-finance this? Or why don't you traditionally publish? Or why are you doing it this way? And some people just didn't agree. And you just had to move on, you know, and, and not focus on that because if they're not going to support you, move on. Like that month was dedicated to the success of the campaign. And so just being kind and okay, you know, I understand if you are only supporting other charities or you, you can't support right now, that's totally fine and moving on. But definitely dealing with the feeling of rejection or feeling that they don't want to support was probably the hardest thing. Uh, just to be really, really, really frank that, you know, a lot of people don't share those stories. And I think that it's important to know that you have to not take things personally because it's not about you. It might be about them. It might be other things. And you just have to accept people and where they're at and um, not make it about you. So that was that was an interesting insight. I also realized the importance of week ties since the first week was a lot of support from our direct community, people that knew me personally, people that I'd messaged in advance, letting them know about the campaign. And then there was this period after the first three or four days where it kind of slowed down. And then all of a sudden, reaching out to our extended network of people who don't who didn't really know me started materializing and converting and people just started supporting people that I didn't even know started supporting and sponsoring and it was really cool to see how our weak ties suddenly became really strong and supported us in ways we had no idea they'd show up and, and do that we had no idea who a lot of the people that sponsored were and they were like hey I love what you're doing or someone told me about this and it was just really interesting to see that especially during such a really hard time economically and in the current state of the world it's amazing to see how successful that crowdfunding campaign was so well done to you and your team as well because i know they they have been your your pillars throughout this whole process i do have one final question before i let you go for today what's up and what's next for you you know that's an interesting question i know i'm publishing the book in january and i'm open to whatever it is that will allow me to have a bigger impact whether it's scaling my company up whether it is accepting a really cool role somewhere. I'm very open to whatever it is where I can have a bigger impact and love what I'm doing. And so I just focus on being really present and 
and I would say just having a bigger impact in whatever way that it shows up. I, I don't generally plan my life beyond the next six months or so, so I kind of just let things fall into place and I keep doing what I love doing and have a vision I work towards, but always adapt along the way. Just going with the flow. I love that. Salima, thank you so much for making the time today. Really, really appreciate that. You're very welcome. It's been really fun chatting with you. Innovation starts with I launching January 2021. Please make sure you keep your eyes peeled for this one. It's an amazing book and I am very excited to be able to go and have a read of it. So can't wait for it, Salima, to drop. Let me know straight away and I'll have a look at it. Thank you so much for today. And if you guys have enjoyed today's episode, then please make sure to listen to the next podcast to find out what's up and what's next.